for all of you tuning in, sending me messages, and talking about my podcast to others. Thank you so much. This is what keeps me going. Now I need your help. If you've been listening to this podcast, if you liked it so far, I'd love if you could book 15 to 20 minutes with me down on the Calendly link in the episode description. Of course, you'd be compensated for your time with a $10 gift card of your choice. I want to get to know you better as my audience and as a podcast listener, what you've been liking, what you want to know, roadblocks when it comes to persuading people or accelerating in your career, and just what you'd like me to produce more of. My goal is to ultimately make this podcast more valuable and entertaining to you. If that sounds like you, please, please, please book that time with me below on the Calendly link. The link is in the episode description. I look forward to meeting you. Now, without further ado, let's start talking about some negotiation. Hello, hola, ni hao, salut, namaste everyone, wherever in the world you're listening to this, and welcome to 100 Some Game, a podcast where we discuss negotiation, persuasion, and influence. Join me as I interview master negotiators from a new industry each episode and get inspired to get the best outcome for yourself while creating value for your counterpart. My name is Adele. I'm a recent economics and psychology grad with experience in finance and marketing, and I'm fascinated by the power of negotiation to change your life and career. Whether you're an earlier or seasoned professional looking to accelerate your career, negotiate your value, and tactfully handle conflicts, or simply a curious individual aiming to level up your soft skills, leave your shoes and missed opportunities at the door, and let's get started. Yes, I did it. I brought the ex-police officer criminal investigations detective, hostage negotiator, crisis intervention teacher, current author of two books, and a negotiation coach at Black Swan Group, Sandy Hain, 100-some game podcast to chat about the forensics game. Honestly, I couldn't have imagined anyone better to have on my podcast for this episode. Sandy, welcome. Tuning in all the way from Manassas, Virginia. What an honor. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. Why don't you tell us more about the work you did on sex crimes, intervention, coaching, and negotiations over the years? I know you have years and over 30 years of experience. Yes. So um, I started out wanting to be a lawyer because I I argue well, I guess. I don't know. Um, But I went to school and I didn't, I realized I don't want to be stuck inside all the time. So I switched over to criminal justice and went into law enforcement. And it was not a popular decision, really, um, with my friends and family, because they thought, nah, you know, you're never going to make it as a police officer. You're never going to be able to do it. And I thought, ha, I'll show you. So I joined the police department. I did four and a half years on midnight patrol, which was mm-hmm. eye-opening. And then I went to investigations, and that's where I spent the rest of my career. I was what, what people refer to as a career detective. I had no desire to be promoted. I liked doing the work. So... Um, when I went upstairs to what we call CIS criminal investigations, Ooh, something's going on. I hear siren. <laughs> That's you. Yeah, awesome. On like floor 29. And yeah, <laughs> you can still hear it that clear. Wow. That's an echo. It is. an so, echo. Okay. Sorry for that. Um, <laughs> so I did my first five years up there in youth sex and abuse cases. And then I got pregnant with my, my youngest daughter. And I said, I, I can't do these cases right now. Mm-hmm. It's just, a little too emotional for me. So I went to commercial burglary for three years, which was 
not fun because people don't care about their businesses. They have insurance. And so it's not personal and it, it, it just wasn't fun. So then um, the adult sex crimes position came open and I transferred there. And that's mm -hmm. where I spent the rest of my career. Um, and also during the time that I worked in um, the adult sex crimes unit was also the time that I was a hostage negotiator. So I was, I spent 10 years as a hostage negotiator. Um, it's what we call an ancillary duty. So I was a sex crimes detective is my main duty. And then I basically was a hostage negotiator whenever something happened in the city where they needed us and they called us in. So, yeah. um, I got to do both. That was probably my favorite part of my career, um, was being on our team because it was, it was like having another family. Um, we were really, really close and the camaraderie was amazing. And it's probably what I miss most about no longer being on the job is not being with that core group of people that I spent so much time with. Um, but I, I injured myself. And so I got put off because I couldn't do the job. I messed my knee up really bad. And so I could no longer do the job. So they, they did what they call here in the States. They retired me on a workman's comp thing. Basically I I'm injured, came to the job anymore. So they, they put me out. Um, and so then I sat around for a couple of years. I worked a little bit with, with Chris and Derek and Brandon at the Black Swan Group. And um, we were doing a lot of stuff. The company was just really getting going there. And so yeah. they had me um, doing a few things for them. And I was working on research and went and did a couple of events. And then they just didn't have enough work to keep me busy. So I said, okay, you guys, look, I'm in, I'm in. But you call me when you have enough work for all of us, because right now we're, we're just kind of like, I don't like having idle hands. I like having something to do. So right. um, I actually went and taught criminal justice. I actually created the criminal justice program at the local high school. Very and so I did cool. that for six years. And then Chris and Derek started calling me and saying, we, we need you now. The business is here. We need you. You got to come back. And I said, oh. well, hold on a minute. Cause youngest daughter is in college and this teaching <laughs> job is paying for that. So you got to mm. wait till she graduates. So that was 2020, but then COVID hit. So I ended up going a little oh. bit earlier because, you know, school wasn't happening and I was an elective mm -hmm. class. So the kids didn't really have to do anything in my class. So the way it was set up because of COVID. And so I went and started working with them early and pretty much went full time with them in 2020. And we have been um, cruising along ever since. I mean, we're, we're, we're busy. We're very busy and yeah. the work is there and um, it feels really good that people um, they look at the the skills, they look at what we do and they say, wow, okay, I can make that work for me. Uh, mm. So, so we've just, you know, we've just grown. Our company has quadrupled in size since I went with wow. them in 2020. So, um, we've got, you know, crazy business and we're, our schedules are crazy. Absolutely. Wow. <laughs> Which you might know from trying to get me scheduled here. Exactly, but yeah, our, yeah. <laughs> our schedules are nuts. So following yeah. up. Yeah. Wow. What a story. Um, it, I feel like someone should write a book about you too. I mean, you wrote books, but I'm like, oh. <laughs> now we need like to Sandy biography. Can we also speak a little bit about how negotiation interactions look like and, mm -hmm. and forensics and like law enforcement, specifically okay. in the field, like, you know, sex crimes and, and violence acts uh, that yeah. where you like participated a lot for our mm -hmm. listeners who are unfamiliar with it. So um, a lot of people, when you hear forensics, you think crime scene, which, you know, forensic examination typically does go with the actual crime scene, but there's a lot of forensic stuff that happens in the background. Um, mm -hmm. We do forensic interviewing, for instance. Oh. Um, it's very specific interview techniques that you use 
that are kind of like working a crime scene, but the person's mind is kind of the crime scene for lack of a better way to put this so that it makes sense. Um, you know, when you walk onto a crime scene, you look around and you see what's happening and you gather information with your eyes and then you, you kind of break it down and go piece by piece by piece by piece the whole way through. And so when you're doing an interview with someone, it's really the same kind of thing. You get an overall lay of what's happening and then you kind of gather information with your eyes and your ears, really. You're paying attention to their um, body language, their vocal pitch. Um, you're paying attention to their tone of voice and whether it gets, you know, faster, slower, higher, or lower. And that indicates different things. And you, you have to pay attention to that and follow it. And um, it's kind of like following the evidence in any case that you work. You're following the little breadcrumbs that people are giving you from the conversation that you're having. So your, your mind has to be um, kind of open to be able to listen because that's the, the biggest thing people don't do in negotiation is they don't listen well enough. And that's why they're not successful most of the time is because they miss things because their ears are either turned off or they have what we call happy ears and they think they're hearing what they want to hear. So they're, they don't concentrate on anything else. And that's a problem. When you're looking at using negotiation skills in law enforcement, the, the biggest thing that you have to concentrate on is your listening game. Because if you're not listening, you, you, you can't, you, first of all, you can't use our skills because they're predicated on you listening to the other side, because it's basically where you're going and what you're doing is based on the information that you're receiving from them. Mm -hmm. So you have to be able to take in what they're saying, process it very quickly and figure out what direction to go in all at the same time. And it practice with using the skills and really practicing your listening game to be able to be successful at it. So it's, it's not something you can pick up and I'm going to do this. And then you're there overnight. It, it does take some time to get really comfortable and pay attention to the other side, because as human beings, we concentrate on ourselves all the time. We're very self-centered and we're, yes. we're, we're, um, inbred with this natural survivor instinct. And so survival involves taking care of yourself. So you have to go against that grain and focus on the other side and let anything that you're thinking about or feeling or whatever kind of go out the window and focus completely on the other side. And that's, that's when you're going to have your best interaction. That's when you're going to uncover the most information is when you're focused solely on them and take your stuff out of it. Yeah. So what I'm understanding is your unique approach is I think heavily concentrated on listening. Yes. Again, like hyper focusing on the other side. Mm -hmm. What are some of like that the negotiation tactics that um, you use throughout your career that were really effective in, in at your job? So yeah, there are um, like and and they they kind of coincide with the Black Swan skills because yeah. our our skills at the Black Swan group were basically. Um, adopted from law enforcement's active listening skills, which were actually uh, kind of morphed from psychotherapy. Carl Rogers created the active listening skills in the 1950s. He was a psychotherapist. And so in the 1970s, law enforcement people started saying, hey, we can use some of this. This makes perfect sense, right? Yeah. So they started putting the active listening skills into work in law enforcement. And then in the 80s, hostage negotiations, crisis negotiations, people were like, this is what we need. This is what we're missing. So they they took it and they use it. And then the black swan group, we kind of, um, change things just a little bit 
to make it more user-friendly for everybody because mm. there's very certain things we do in law enforcement with the way we label the skills that are a little bit different. The way we do it at the Black Swan Group kind of opens it up for everybody to be able mm. to have it make sense in their life and their normal communication. Yeah. And um, so essentially what it is, yes, it's negotiation techniques and yes, it's based on stuff we used in law enforcement. But honestly, this is a new way to communicate. Yeah. It it opens up your communication with the other side. It 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 leads you places that a normal conversation wouldn't lead you. Mm. And that's what people don't understand is people are used to when they want information, all they do is ask questions. They ask questions constantly. And so when you ask questions constantly, it makes the other side feel uncomfortable because they feel like they're being interrogated. So the way we've kind of morphed our stuff is that we use labels, what we call labels and mirrors to gather information. Therefore, we're not asking any questions. Um, so, you know, a mirror is just basically you say something, I'm going to mirror one to three words of what you said with an upward inflection. If I want oh. it to sound like a question or with a downward inflection, if I want to indicate that I'm tracking with you and I understand what you're saying and kind of encouraging you to keep talking mm-hmm. without asking a question. And then labels are basically you observing what's happening with the other side and you labeling whatever it is you see. But when I would be interviewing um, a suspect for a sex crime, I would not ask any questions. I would use mirrors and labels. And and so then I would say something like, um, so it seems like you have a reason for, for being where you were last night. Because if they don't want to tell me that they had anything to do with it, I don't ask a question about where were you last night. I come up with a different way to ask it because when you say, where were you last night? They get defensive right away because the police are asking them, where were you last night? Which yeah. automatically indicates I think you did something wrong. So they get defensive. <laughs> so in order to avoid that, you just don't ask the question. You use a label instead. Seems like you were hanging out at this club last night. Yeah, they do. Well, when you ask somebody a specific question where they have to formulate thought in their head, it, it hits on one side of the brain. When you use a label, it bypasses that filter and it just puts the idea in their head that this is what you're talking about. And so then when they start responding to you, they do it in what we call like a stream of conscious kind of way. They Mm. say whatever comes in their mind and then they just keep talking and it's not, it's not as filtered. So you get more information. That's so interesting. I've also um, seen cases though, where people would be like, like, for example, you would ask, seems like you had a reason um, mm-hmm. to be at X place last night. And they were, they would be like, yes, I did. You know, some of those more seasoned, um, mm-hmm. either um, criminals or so, you know, a criminal who's also happens to be seasoned, a negotiator. Yep. What do we do in those cases? Um, so, so you did, so you were. And oh, you, and so you, you keep on that. You just keep the thing is this is this is what's hard for people because um when you're thinking about being a hostage negotiator and you're talking with someone on the inside who's either barricaded themselves or barricaded themselves with hostages and you have to you have to influence them you have to influence them to do what you want them to do which is let the hostages go and come out and yeah. uh you know in whatever order they want to do that that's fine if they want to just come out that's great they want to let the hostages mm-hmm. go first great whatever they want to do is fine um but they're going to hang up on you and they're going to keep hanging up on you because they're trying yeah. to sever that contact. We just have to keep pushing it. Mm-hmm. So what the first thing you learn when you become a hostage negotiator is you call in and you say, hi, um, this is Sandy. I'm with the police department. Um, you know, can, can you basically 
help me understand how we got here today. Mm. And they're going to go, you know, screw you or whatever, probably not that nicely and hang up on you. And so, boom, you call right back. As soon as they hang up, you call right back. There's no, unless they mm-hmm. specifically ask for a break and you know you're going to take a break, you, you, you're you on them the whole time. Wow. So Resilience have and to be. persistence, yeah. Yes, persistence is key um, because eventually they're going to get mad at you and they're going to attack you and you know that, but attacks, mm. full on attacks only last for 30 to 45 seconds as long as you don't feed them. Yeah. So they want to they yell at me, yell at me, yell at me all you want. I'm just going to listen and I'm going to take it. I'm going to listen. I'm going to take it. And I'm going to label whatever it is you're saying. It seems like mm. me calling you repeatedly is getting on your nerves. Mm. Yeah, it's getting on my nerves, blah, 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 blah. And then you air all that out. And so then you, you know, it seems like you would like for me to call you less often. Um, yeah, I don't want you to call me at all unless you can fix something for me. Fix mm. something. And then they go into you know get a I mean? car for me or like whatever. Yeah, exactly. Like, like, like in the scenario that here. we do. Yeah. yeah. So, um, yeah, you just have to. For one thing, you can't think so much. Yeah, you have to. You have to just respond in the calmest manner you can manage. Yeah, based on what they're telling you. Yes. You you you, you guide the conversation by letting them talk. Because I'm going to tell you right now, people think they're in control of a conversation when they're talking. They're not. They're giving all the information away. You're yeah. in control of the conversation when you're the one listening and getting all the information. One thing I also want to ask you is like, when you call someone and then you approach in more of like a friendly way, I think that's like deference, right? I think Chris also, you also spoke about it, like the importance of deference, because um, I think you guys were talking about in one of the Black Swan, um, either videos or one of the introductory, like sort of classes, Mm -hmm. um, motivations of a businessman or a terrorist are, are the same. Right. Like they're all they have the same emotions and yep. deference. Everybody wants to actually like be um, seen as a power figure or like be respected. Um, right. How do we show deference um, to like a criminal or to a terrorist mm-hmm. um, by still being genuine and authentic? Um, it's easier than it sounds because yeah. the way you just ask, it's like, oh, my gosh, that's monumental. It's really not. <laughs> Everyone in the world wants to be heard and understood. That's the two things everybody wants more than anything else in the world. They want someone to listen to them and they want someone to demonstrate that they understand them. That doesn't mean you have to agree with them or that you have to like them or that you even have to be nice to them. It just means you have to demonstrate that you understand what they're saying or doing. So when you bypass the whole, and that's the genuine part because you don't Mm -hmm. like everybody. You're not going to get along with everybody. You're not going to care about everybody, but People will feel that from you if you make any kind of an attempt to understand them and listen to them. And that's how you show the most deference is you, you tune into them. You make the conversation about them. You let them have the spotlight. You let them do as much talking as they want to do. And you listen and dial into what they're saying so that when they stop talking, you can summarize everything they just said. And they feel so understood that they have what we call that oxytocin bonding moment. Because when someone feels so understood, they have oxytocin release in their brain and they bond to you. They feel, um, they feel connected to you because you get them so much. And that's what we're looking for. And you can get that with anybody. You don't have to like them or understand them or have anything in common with them. I mean, I don't have anything in common with these people that committed sexual assaults, but I got confessions a lot of the time because of using this method. Wow. 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 Um, this also makes me think of the tactical uh, empathy 
um, method. Can you tell also tell us a little bit about what that is and how we can mm -hmm. um, apply that? Is it true like um, using like mirrors and labels and true like showing deference? Yes. Um, yeah. So tactical empathy is it's basically empathy. We call it tactical because it's the way we use it. It's extremely calibrated. It's done mm. on purpose because it's what works. So that's why we call it tactical. Right. People get caught up with that word tactical. They think, um, they think, you know, aggression and the ninja suits and the long guns. When they hear tactical, that's what they think. But really tactical is just us being calibrated and using this in a very purposeful manner to influence the inside, to do what we want. So, um, when you start to understand what empathy is, you know, empathy is that understanding that people want to feel empathy is us recognizing what's happening with them and actually vocalizing it. And that, that involves using your intuition and that, that throws people off sometimes because you, you figure out things and you know, things when you're sitting there having a conversation with someone, you, you feel things that you don't say. And when you don't say them, they don't feel fully understood because a lot of times when you're having a conversation with someone, your intuition will tell you something about them that they might not even know about themselves. And when you point that out, they go, oh my gosh, I didn't even think about it that way. Because if you trust your intuition and you're picking up certain things from them, when you talk about it is when that connection happens. And so with empathy, that's huge because when you demonstrate that understanding well enough that people feel that connection it ups the game a little bit as far as your ability to influence the other side. Because when people feel very heard and understood by you, they'll do almost anything you want because it feels so good. What you've just done for them feels so good that the reciprocity that comes about almost feels obligatory to them. Like they're obligated to give back to you because you just gave them this whole big understanding piece. And that's the power of empathy that people don't understand. And people get it confused with sympathy too. Sympathy is basically introducing yourself into the equation by saying, um, cause somebody says, Oh my gosh, my back hurts really that, bad. Yeah. yeah. And people do it all the time. Like you say, all gosh, my back really hurts. And, and instead of saying, Oh, I'm sorry, your back hurts. What happened? They say, um, yeah, my, my back, I've had a lot yeah. Of problems. yeah. It's like, okay, you know, that's no empathy. There's no empathy there because now you just, if you're the one that's sympathizing with someone else, you just changed the conversation and made it about you. To yourself. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. you have to put yourself second, which is mm. difficult for a lot of people. Um, there are some people who are better at um, using empathy than others. And there's some people that default to sympathy every single time and always make the conversation about them. And those are the people that no one really wants to be around that much because it's always about them. And then you don't stand a chance, right? So you're just like, oh my gosh, you're so annoying. It's always, always about you. You know, what can it be about me? And so everybody wants to have the feeling that the conversation is centered around them. Yeah. And the thing is, what people don't understand is when you do that for someone else, eventually it makes them feel so good. They want to return the favor. And that's when your turn comes. So you do get a turn, just not right away. You just have to put yourself second. You have to put the other side first. And that's where the influence comes about. Uh, yeah. And not necessarily always for influence either. If you're talking about a personal relationship, I have a lot of coaching clients that come back to me later and say, I saved their marriage because I gave them a different way to communicate. I gave them a different way to think about yeah. things, a different oh way God. to listen. Yeah. And so when you use, start using this stuff in your everyday life, you realize how powerful it is and you'll yeah. just pull it out of your pocket in a difficult conversation. Definitely use it then, but you can use it every day.
Get and people way, feel yeah. so good. Y'all, we're shooting this on Valentine's Day, and I can't believe how relevant <laughs> this is. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of the, I feel like a lot of negotiation or, you know, in persuasion tactics and um, methodologies really apply to anywhere, anywhere in every situation in life. Whether you're getting coffee, arguing with your husband, um, mm -hmm. trying to get, um, you know, your school admin to give you access for this course that, that expired six months ago. Like I've done yeah. that. So <laughs> I just gave that example. One thing I'm also, I think it's really interesting to me as these cases of like 30 seconds or she dies, like, you know, these extreme hostage negotiation cases right. where there's high aggression and the stakes mm -hmm. are really high too. Um, how do you negotiate in those situations? What are some of the, some of the best practices there? So there, there's, so many ways to do it, but the, the best thing to do is go in expecting to be attacked because you probably will be. Um, you go in, you say who you are with your, you don't lie because when you lie, you, you basically make it so that the person inside doesn't trust you. Now you don't have to answer every question that they ask you. You label back something toward them instead. So, I mean, I've had a few times where I've been dealing with somebody on the inside and personal information about me will come up. Well, I don't want to share my personal information with a bad guy inside. Right. So I'm mm -hmm. just going to say, it seems like you have a reason for asking, or it seems like knowing whether or not I'm married is very important to you. You know, I, I change it around like that, make it, keep it about them mm -hmm. and not about me because that's, that's when it gets tricky. Um, but what you want to do is person inside their, their emotional status at the moment is on the ceiling. They're like riding the ceiling. You can't talk to them then because they're triggered. And when they're triggered and their emotions are really, really high, their rational thinking is way down here, over here on the floor. And so they can't, their, their brain's not connected because when you're triggered, that amygdala gets fired up and that prefrontal cortex where all the thinking takes place gets blocked out. Yeah. So you have to bring them from being triggered down here to where their level and bring their rational thinking from where it is on the floor up to this level. And once you reach here, that's when productive dialogue can happen the scariest part is getting them from here to here. It's yeah. actually not the hardest part though, because people just want to feel heard and understood. So if you, if you go in on these, these cases like this and you try problem solving right from the very beginning, people can't respond to that because this is offline. So they can't respond to problem solving because they're not actually able to string the thoughts together like that because their emotions are way up here. So you have to let them exhaust that emotional energy first, which means you're going to get attacked you're going to get the phone slammed in your ear. You're going to get called every name in the book. And you just know that going in. So you just expect it. And so you don't react to it. And you just, you know, yeah, you're, you're bugging me. I'm sorry. I'm, you know, I'm sorry, you know, that, that I have to keep calling you like this. And, I, and I'm, and, and it seems like it really aggravates you, you know, and I know, I, I know that I'm not making the situation better for you at the moment. And yeah. they're like, no, you're not. But just, just demonstrating that. Brings them down. What I'm understanding in, in those cases, like high Russian cases, when they say like, you have 30 seconds, you try to like extend the conversation by showing that understanding and um, right. that friends and, and that, that tactical empathy. So then it, 30 seconds become like a 15 minutes conversation. And all of a sudden they're talking about like how they didn't want to be here in the first yes. place this morning. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And so what we, we, what we tell people is, we're given deadlines all the time. 
you're giving deadlines uh, and not just as law enforcement officers, but, but, you know, people in general in life are given deadlines all the time. So how do you, yeah. how do you deal with those deadlines? You talk past them, you talk through them. Yeah. Um, you not know, all you, deadlines are relevant too. It's just yeah. man-made, right? Like it's. Yes, exactly. Exactly. And so, you know, when you got, you know, I need this from you in 30 seconds or, or, or she's going to die. <laughs> you're like, okay, what is that saying? What's the motivation? Why is that person saying that? Why are they threatening to kill somebody in the middle of all of this? Well, because think about what their motivation is. Why are they saying I need a car in 30 seconds or she dies? Because they want to live. So their motivation is they want to get out. They want to live to see another day. Mm -hmm. So as soon as you identify that motivation, you can say, seems like you, you, you have a reason you want to get out of there. Mm -hmm. Sounds like you, and as soon as you hit that deep, they're like, yeah. And then they, because you just took the time to understand them and, and they don't get that from a lot of people. Otherwise they wouldn't be robbing a bank right now or whatever, you know? So, um, yeah. you have to understand, understand what the underlying motivation is of the other side. And there's always a motivation of some sort. Yeah, always. For sure. You know. And what's also really discussed in this field and general in, in negotiation is like how you say things. Or not, mm -hmm. not just what you say, but how you say things. So in those like high aggression or in those like high stakes situations, what kind of like tone of voice do you use? And um, yeah. how can, how can people use that? How can people channel that? Well, we, at the Black Swan group, we deal with three different tones of voice. One of them mm -hmm. is assertive, which is always counterproductive. You should never use an mm -hmm. assertive tone of voice. You can be assertive. You just can't do it in an assertive tone of voice because an mm -hmm. assertive tone of voice triggers people's amygdalas. And then you've taken them offline. Yeah. So that's, that's the worst thing you do is yell at somebody because boom, you're triggering them right here. So not a good thing. What you do instead is use what Chris likes to refer to as the late night FM DJ voice, yeah. um, which, you know, kind of shows our age at the Black Swan group because I don't think they, they even have late night FM DJs anymore. I don't even know. I have no idea. I go to bed too early. I guess I don't know. <laughs> They're late night FM DJs. But, you know, they come on and they have that nice, low, yeah. slow relaxing voice and um that's you know how you what? do they it. have bedtime stories on youtube like for adults really I and did they not use know the light mm -hmm. and they use the light not <laughs> from dj voice there that there downward deflecting voice that yes slows your brain down yeah and you're ready to low go to and sleep. slow low and when you and do slow. that you can bring someone from way up here to a rational thinking mm. level by slowing everything down right. so you talk slower you lower your tone of voice you enunciate every word very clearly and it makes them focus in on you. So when you're having a wow. difficult conversation with someone, not even when you're dealing with a hostage situation, but when you're having a difficult conversation, you can be having this conversation in your normal accommodator voice, which is the friendly, amenable, everybody wants to talk to you voice. Yeah. And then when you get to the important part, you just slow down, lower your tone, say each word all the way, use every syllable, mm. keep your tone of voice low. And what happens was you get a, a response from your brain because something changes. So the person you're having this conversation and all of a sudden you low and slow it and they go, they focus image like something <laughs> just changed. And then they're really focused. So when you're saying this works with your, when you, for people listening to this probably don't have kids, but if you do, this works with kids, this works with teenagers, this works mm -hmm. because what happens is they recognize this voice. And then when it changes, they go, because it, they, it draws them in. So when you're saying what you really want someone to pay attention to, that's when you slow things mm -hmm. down and lower your tone because then they focus in because they know something just happened. So this must be important. So now I will okay. say 
for women using the late night FM DJ voice, yep. you have to be careful mm-hmm. because if you've ever heard Chris Voss do it, he's got a very whispery quality to his voice. And so he gets low and he has that scruffy sound in his voice. Yeah. His Don't try tone. to copy that because <laughs> that sends a different message when Seduction, a woman has right? that. Yes. That's mm-hmm. not where you want to go. Mm-hmm. So um, it's not so much about the, um, the, gruffness or not in your voice it's more about slowing everything down slowing everything down and so the way you can do it if you if you have a voice that is high which for women most women's voices are too high to Mm. do the late night fm dj voice as a normal speaking voice so what we have to do is just kind of relax our bodies tilt our chin down and then we start talking slower and it automatically comes out in a lower octave because that's what you're going for. An octave that registers in the mind of the other side. So, you know, when you're normally speaking, your chin is usually up a little bit. So your voice comes Uh, out higher. So when you want to focus in, you lower everything and relax everything and your voice goes down a tone without you having to change anything. So interesting. And there's men too, though, uh, because men tend to have voices that are deeper. And so it's harder for them to get that accommodating, friendly voice. So how they do that is they take a deep breath, stretch their shoulders back, put their chin up, and then their voice will come out an octave higher. So it's something that you need to think about because the difference in pitch, it has different reactions on people's brains. For sure. So for a woman, our body needs to be relaxed, but we we should be tightening our core and lowering our chin. Is that like... Um, You can relax your whole body. You can relax your whole body. Just dropping the chin is key, I think, right? Relaxing this... Part of and body. dropping the chin dropping is the because chin. if you keep your shoulders like this, even when you put your chin down, it changes the tone. But when you mm. relax everything, it makes it lower. For sure. So yeah, yeah. It, it, yeah. you have to practice it. You really have to yeah. practice it because you mm. can't just go in and start using it because then people, it's, people are going to look at you like, what, what are you doing? Because <sighs> it may not come out like you think. So really, I always tell women, record yourself doing it. First of all, make sure you notice the change because if uh-huh. you're talking in an accommodator voice and then you, you think you're doing the low and slow voice, but if they don't sound any different to you, then you need to work on it. Yeah. It takes well, practice. It takes practice. I think in, in all of these, um, you know, different tactics that we spoke, whether it's like you know, showing deference, showing tactical empathy, mirroring labels, all of that, mm-hmm. you just have to practice. And I think maybe low stake situations or with your friends or in front yep. of the camera and then mm-hmm. um, everything is <laughs> literally everything is gets better with practice. Yes. In this world. Yeah. Grocery store. Cashiers yeah. at grocery stores are treated crappy by most people. Uh, and if you go to them and you say, gosh, you guys are really busy today. They go, oh my gosh, yes. And you think, gosh, it seems like you're not even going to get a break. And they're like, yeah, no, I got, and they just start talking. <laughs> I've learned the entire yeah. life stories of cashiers before because oh no my... one talks to them. Oh my God. I've actually, okay. This is so funny. <laughs> I did that at, when I was at a nail salon with my, <laughs> with my um, nail artist. And then all of a sudden she starts speaking about like um, her ex-boyfriend. He was on the streets when they met. Um, and then, the, you know, like he, she's still in love with him. And then like she, he has a car now, et cetera. And I was like, and my cousin sitting right beside me on the opposite. She's the one talking about her life, love life to the nail artist. And on the other side of the table, the nail artist is speaking to me. And my cousin is like, what just happened? The last thing I heard was like, I heard your nail artist saying, gosh, I think I'm still in love with him. <laughs> like something like that. And I was like, what the hell did you just have with the nail artist? Yeah. Um, but yeah. I was like, you know what? I'm, gonna, I'm just going to try it. Like a low six situation. I'm like, like I'm sitting there for an hour anyways. 
I don't want to look at my phone. I want to pre- I want to do something useful for myself. Like exactly. You know what I mean? So I'll just practice. That's all of these great. Skills. And what you've done is, if you go back to that place, yeah, she will remember you, and you will be like her favorite customer. You know what? Because... She actually, yeah, she actually gave me um me and my cousin um a, like a hand cream, like a free hand cream, a bottle there of hand you cream. Go. Yep, because people will do anything for you if they have the ability and they like you. And the yeah. reason people like you is because you're likable. And yeah. you, part of being likable is letting other people talk and letting them feel heard. And yeah. it's people will do almost anything for you if they feel yeah. good if, after the interaction. Um, I love this. Another question I have on um, sort of like women and, and being in forensics and like negotiating is that when you first, as you said, when you first started um, at your job, it was like very male dominated and yeah. Yeah. And some, and these days somewhat, you know, those, um, some fields are still very male dominated, whether we like it or not. Mm -hmm. How did you at the time just maintain your confidence and built your career to where it is right now? Yes, absolutely. Um, I'm just going to say the first few years were really, really difficult. Mm -hmm. Um, on my shift alone, there were about 30 to 35 officers and only five of us were female. So odds not in my favor. Um, and when you're in a male dominated profession like that, your male officers that you go on calls with need to, need to know that you're willing to fight for them if they need you to. And so it's not about whether or not they're successful in the fight. It's about whether or not the, you attempted to do it. So you, you can't just go and say, well, I don't know how to fight. I'm a woman. I don't know how to fight. No, jump in there, jump in there and try to make a difference. And that's what earns you a lot of respect because it's like, why are you in this job? Because you know, there's a potential for some kind of physical violence. You have to be ready for that. So Mm. you should be willing to jump in there and fight. And if you're not willing to jump in there and fight, maybe it's not the job for you. And so I think the first few times I got into scuffles with people and the male officers that were there on my group, they were like, okay, this is, this is the deal. She's willing to jump in. Heck yeah, I'm willing to jump in. I'm probably going to get my ass kicked, but I'm not going to stand there and not do anything. I'm going to do what I can. And so just like using our skills, the attempt at you doing things means more than whether or not you're successful. You have to be willing to put yourself out on the line. And if you're not, then you lose respect. Yes. Perception is everything. And the perception of the other side is, is their reality. So yeah, you, um, you come up against some stuff, uh, being in law enforcement. I had times when I, it was me and, uh, a female officer that actually got transferred over from the other shift because we didn't have enough field training officers on the midnight shift. So she came over and they put her on my group because the person she was training was going to end up being on my group. And he was a male officer. So she was his FDO. So we all, we got sent to a call. Um, the way we do it in the jurisdiction I was in is you have one officer in each car. So you go in by mm-hmm. yourself. And then when they, when you have a, a tough call, they send somebody else with you in a different car. Yeah. So what happens oh. is when you're training someone, they, the, the field training officer and that, and, uh, the, the, uh, rookie officer ride in the same car. So those two and me got sent. It was what we, I was, what was what we call the primary. It was my call. It was my beat. It was my area I'm supposed to handle. So we show up on the call and the female officer with her rookie officer get out. We go to the door the guy opens the door. He was former military. He would not even talk to me. I kept trying oh. to like address because it was my call. I was supposed to handle it. And he just kept mm-hmm. looking at the, the new recruit officer who literally had been on the street less than a week and didn't even know what he was doing. And he just kept going to him and the, the rookie didn't know what to do. 
So luckily he said, um, sir, you, you need to talk to her. And nah. the guy, the guy was mad because yeah. it's like, well, aren't you the boss? And he said, no, mm. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> you need to talk yeah. to her. So that's, he had to, he had to make me relevant to that person Yeah, because I was not relevant to him. So you have to count on the people around you as a female when you're in a male dominated profession to kind of segue mm -hmm. in for you to kind yeah, of say, I'm sorry, you got to, yeah. yes. And, 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 and most male officers in the profession are really good about doing that because they don't have a problem with women being there as long as they're women they can respect. Yeah. You've got the, the, the female officer that shows up with, um, her face done, like she's ready to go to a photo shoot and Ugh. nails that are, you know, like, yeah. how are you going to, you, you get a fight with that nail. That's going to hurt. Well, how are you, mm. how do you shoot your gun with those fingernails? So, I mean, <laughs> when they see that, it makes them distrustful so that you have to come in and show that I may not be tough and I'm probably going to get my ass kicked, but I'm going to be right there in the fight with you. I'm right in there. And that's all it takes. And then when they have respect for you and they, they know that you have confidence and if you don't, you're faking it anyway, because yeah. sometimes that's what you have to do. Then they, then they're okay with you and they help you out. So believing in yourself and being able to confidently speak about what you're mm -hmm. capable of and what you're not capable of is hugely important mm -hmm. and being willing to try whatever you need to try to get things done is really important. I have seen, and Derek Gaunt, who also works with the Black Swan Group, he was my team commander. And he did a blog article years ago about who's a better negotiator, women or men. <sighs> and he said out of his entire team, the three people he would go to if the world was absolutely falling apart and he needed to have a negotiator, all three of those go-to people for him were females. Yeah. So and that doesn't mean that women are better negotiators. Anybody can be a really good negotiator. They just have to be willing to practice and use the skills appropriately. Mm -hmm. But, you know, Derek's feeling was, I have a lot of, there are mostly men on the team, but I, the people that I would put on the phone in any given situation, there are three females that, so right. women, um, women, I think because of the nature of where we, we've come from and how doors have been slammed in our face, especially male dominated professions, yeah. we are more willing to practice the skills without fear. We're more willing to, to throw caution to the wind and use the skills because it's not going to hurt us either way because there's already opinions out there about us and we don't care. We're just trying to make ourselves better for yeah. men. If they try something like that, because it, because it comes across as touchy feely, they feel like it's going to make them look a certain way. So they're less likely to go out on a limb and just start using the skills. Whereas women will, without fear, will say, okay, yeah, I'll try that. And they'll just yeah. do it. Mm -hmm. I love that. I love this like a little woman empowerment talk we have here too, because I think <clears throat> we don't talk about it enough, especially this niche topic of women in male dominated fields. Yeah. So thanks for sharing all of that. That was certainly so, so amazing. Um, before we close this episode i want to ask you uh, a final question this mm -hmm. one is on impressions so mm -hmm. the reason that i'm asking this is because you know at black swan you and your colleagues always say last impression is the lasting impression but right. um but some people say like no first impressions are so important especially people who are uh, trying to you know interview for a job or starting their new job or meeting mm -hmm. someone romantically they're like you don't get a second chance in doing a first impression so right. what's the truth here? Like, what is, what is the deal here? Uh, why is that the case? Is, is first impressions important? 
of even yeah like yeah yeah first impressions are important first impressions set the tone mm. so if you start talking to someone and your tone of voice is off that interaction is not going to go well so that first impression yeah. ruins you you can you can salvage that though by getting mm. back on track so you you People remember two things about an interaction with you. They remember the either most emotional or impactful moment that spoke to them. And they remember the way you leave the conversation, the way you leave them feeling at the end. Mm -hmm. Now, so first impressions are important because your tone of voice is the first thing someone really notices about you. Um, yes, they visually see you before you talk. But, um, you know, I've met people before where when I visually saw them, I had a feeling. And then when they started talking, I had a different feeling. So so the way you look does speak initially to someone, but your tone of voice is what translates to them. So if your tone of voice is off, or if you sound like you're, you know, if you're like, I mean, just think about it. When, when you go to a restaurant and you have a server that comes up to you and says, I'm your server. What do you want? And you're like, I'm about to get my food spit in. That's what I'm thinking. But if you have someone say, hi, I'm so-and-so and I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be serving you today. Um, do you have any questions about the menu? That, that friendly tone is the first impression. Right. So as you're dealing with someone, your tone of voice needs to be monitored the entire time. But the most impactful part of a conversation, it's usually when they feel the most heard or the most understood. Mm -hmm. So that speaks to them because it's all about them. So that's an important moment because like I said, when they feel so heard and understood, oxytocin bonding moment, they feel connected to you. So yeah. then they remember how the interaction ends. And the last impression is so huge because say you're make, trying to make a deal with someone and the deal doesn't go through for whatever reason, you can't line things up. If you just say, oh, well, couldn't make it work. See you later. They're going to be like, oh, okay. But if you say, look, you know, this interaction with you has been amazing. Mm. Um, I know this didn't work out with us this time, but at, at any yeah. point in the future, you'd like to collaborate again. I would love to hear from you. Mm. Knowing that you didn't get the business, but they were still positive towards you is huge because then when they go with the other person they went with and things don't go so well, like I should have gone with that person who left me feeling really good. And so they come back to you. So the last right. impression, the last impression is important for future relationships. If you don't care about future relationships, then the last impression is not that important. But mm. think about a job interview. Your tone of voice is going to set the tone for the entire interaction. So if your tone is good, it gives them a positive first impression. Right. As you're talking, if you, they feel connected to you, if they feel like, if they feel like you value them, if they are of importance to you, then that's going to be something they remember. And the way you leave the interaction is going to be important because that's the last thing they see from you. So it's going to be what sticks with them the most outside of that impactful moment. So when you're gearing up for your interviews, yeah, first impression is important, but that can be, that can be made better or worse. Salvage, yeah, better. Or yeah. Worse. Yeah. So you know, so, tone of yeah. voice is important. Yeah. Um, so what I'm understanding is if you have an interest to like continue the, the inter continue the relationship, continue the interaction, mm -hmm. even if it's a job interview, even if you don't get a job interview, send a thank you note after you get a yes. rejection email. If that's the company that you would like to work for in the future, um, mm -hmm. to, to build. And it's very simple. A two letter, a two, two line email is all yeah. you need. Thank you so much for the opportunity of interviewing with you. Um, yeah. it's definitely, you know, one of the highlights for me, if at any point in the future you have a need for someone with my skill set, um, I'd love to hear from you. Yeah. Thank you. End of story. Yeah. Because End it's like, story. wow, look at that. Didn't get the job. but wasn't, wasn't like, Hey, screw you for not hiring me. It was like, Hey, thank you for the opportunity. And if you have anyone, if you have an opening again, that you think would fit my skill set, please reach out. Love to hear from you. 100%. It, it makes a difference. 
It does. It does. Oh, so that also cleared things up for me too, because I was also thinking about it like, hmm, wonder which one I should like pay more attention to. But both, I mean, that's the answer. <laughs> yeah. But uh, if, if, especially if you're looking to looking to get more out of the conversation, yeah. definitely the last impression. Last impression is, is important. Yep. It is important. Sandy, thanks mm. for coming on my podcast. This Certainly. was so good. I love meeting you. Love speaking with you. What an engaging conversation. Uh, you're an awesome, awesome guest. Thank you. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. It was good to meet you and good to, good to be able to talk to you. All right, all right. I hope you took as much valuable information as I did and more. My name is Adele and you have listened to an episode from 100 Sum Game. You like it here? Go ahead and subscribe to 100 Sum Game on your preferred platform. While you're at it, I'd love to hear about what you're thinking of this podcast, any episode requests, or further feedback. It'll help me make this podcast better for you. Thank you so much for tuning in, and I'll catch you in the next episode. Peace.